You're listening to the Transcend Podcast. I'm your host, Asha Wilkerson, an attorney by training and an educator at heart. This podcast is all about empowering you to build a business and leave a legacy. Here's the thing. The wealth gap in America is consistently increasing. And while full-time entrepreneurship is not for everyone, even a side hustle can change your financial landscape if you're intentional about using your business to build wealth. I've run my own law firm for over 10 years. And in that time, I've helped countless California businesses go from idea to six figures. On this podcast, we talk about what it truly takes to build a sustainable business and find financial freedom. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Transcend the Podcast. I am here with Deborah Johnson Miranda, who is the owner of Be Money Coaching. Hey Deb, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And what y'all don't know, uh, to those of you listening, is that there's construction going on upstairs. And so we spent like 10 minutes trying to figure out if the buzzing was going to be really loud. And now there's a window. So we're going for it. So if for some reason you hear some buzzing, then that's why. Just, you know, tune that part out. So Deb, um, can you tell me a little bit about the business that you run and how you got started? Sure. So I fell into money coaching completely by accident. I had been doing it, kind of counseling friends and family over the years, while at the same time, my own finances were just not not where they needed to be, not where I was telling my clients, you know, my friends where theirs needed to be. And in 2017, I was facing foreclosure on my home, and I was trying to do whatever I could to to stop that and ultimately ended up filing for bankruptcy to stop the foreclosure. So about six months into that process, the trustee said he didn't think I was making enough money to make those payments for five years. So the bankruptcy was dismissed. And at that point I had to figure out, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to sell my house? Am I going to allow the am I going to allow the foreclosure to proceed? What's going to happen? So I was able to enter mediation to put everything off. But while I was trying to do mediation and while I was trying to do to work with the mortgage servicer, time just kept passing and passing and they kept delaying and delaying. And I found myself in 2019 having to do the same thing all over again. And I was tired. It was just too much. So I ended up filing again for bankruptcy, ended up having it dismissed. And January 2020 rolled around and I decided this is it. So I talked to my mom and my kids and I said, you know, I think it's time that we sell the house. So a few weeks before the country shut down, we put our house up for sale and I was lucky to not be one of those funny upside down mortgages. And I did walk away with a little bit of money and I was determined to preserve that money and also to counsel and coach myself into fixing my finances in a way that would help me grow. Um, I opened up an emergency fund. I started paying more attention to my previous retirement plans and working on all of that. And then I started sharing all of that on social media. Like so many other people, they're like, I'm just going to do this. And then little by little, you get people who are like, oh, you know, can you help me with this? Or can you help me with that? Or I'm looking for this kind of help. And that's just basically how it 
how it all evolved. Yeah, that's a it's a beautiful story because, you know, there's like there's the win on the other side of that, right? And I think just even sharing that like it's really hard sometimes to share those moments when we may not be proud or we may not understand how we got to where I mean logically, but like, you know, at least for me when I'm like, "Oh my gosh, am I in this situation again? I should have known me like all the shoulds come out, all the pieces of advice that I know and didn't listen to." So thank you for sharing that information because I think it just helps to normalize and to take some of the the shame away. So so definitely kudos to you for that. It was hard. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was really really hard. I I felt like I you know, this is the only home my children have known. This is the home that my mo- mother and sister moved into when they moved to Seattle, and I just felt like what have I done? And my entire family just lifted me up and they were like, "You have done enough. You have done enough." And we're still going to be together. That's not going to change. And this is an opportunity to start over. The house that we lived in had a lot of problems that needed at least $100,000 worth of maintenance and, you know, fixing and plumbing and electricity. And I didn't have the money to do that. So renting became a really good option for us. And the weight that that lifted from me was amazing. Yeah. And so and that's what I try to do is to tell people, you know, and try to be vulnerable, you know, and not be embarrassed by it anymore and say, look, I know what it's like. I know what this feels like. And I absolutely do not believe in shaming. Nobody ever shamed me. I shamed myself. But I, I tell the clients, no, it's just there's no point in I should have done this or I should have listened to this because it's in the past. And I'm I personally am in a better place right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about like that weight that was lifting. Cause I know for me, so I'm a Libra, right? I go back and forth trying to find that balance and overthink absolutely every single thing from like nail color to like, you know, what am I going to do with my life? But there is so much power and just relief in making a decision. So how much does making a decision play out with your clients and how much did it affect you just to be able to say, you know, not whether it's the right one or the wrong but just being able to make a decision about where you're going in the future. So I think the, the, the first thing is to look at what you value. What are your values? And what is it that, that brings you to the point where you have to make a decision so that that agency isn't taken from you? If I had not decided to sell my home, they would have foreclosed. And the worst part about that is that, like I said, I had equity and I would have lost that. I would have lost that little bit of money that I had. And so, you know, I just thought I need to just say, fuck it. I am going to do this. And I have to make a really hard decision because I want to be the one to make the decision. Even if it's the hard one, I don't want it to be made for me. And that's something that's really important because I think that that gives people power. You know, the clients say, you know, I feel more, a little more in control. It's not the best decision but it was my decision. Right. And I think that's really important for people to understand. Yeah. And sometimes my decision is more impactful than quote unquote, the best decision, right? Because there are a million ways to make money. There are a million ways to get out of debt. There are a million ways to live this life. But what what is really important is whether or not it's in alignment with your goals, your personality, the things that you want out of life. So did you feel, so you said that that you were shaming yourself, but did you feel any pressure from family or cultural pressure about making the decision to either leave the house or to, to sort of revamp 
finances. I know that like in my family, most of my family has done pretty well. And so I have sort of internalized this pressure of where I should be at 38 years of age, what I should own at 38 years of age, right? Um, I also have friends who have immigrant parents that, you know, you don't culturally, I mean, every choice is your own, but you may not feel like you have a lot of choices because you have the either family to support or even if it's not financial, but just su- to support in the culture and by doing the thing that is expected. I mean, I feel like that that too sometimes. So did you have any of that that you had to work through? A little bit. Yeah. Because, you know, we are a multi-generational family. My mother is 88. And at the time, my youngest was turning 15. And I had my three kids living with me, you know, my mother, technically an immigrant, but I came into the United States at a very young age. So I grew up in the Latino culture, even though I was, you know, at home, I was a Latina. But when I went out, I was somebody else. And I had to straddle that, you know, the, the two different cultures. And I think that one of the things that made it difficult for me wasn't so much the decision to sell the house, but what what became really difficult was finding a home that would accommodate us all. Because there was no way I was going to separate my mother and my sister from me and my children. That was just not something that was going to happen. And I remember um, that same year talking to a therapist who was no longer my therapist, who was saying that I needed to face reality and you know, find housing for my mom and my sister for low income people or for seniors, get something affordable for my my children and myself. And that was not an option. It was not an option. So of course, you know, having to find a bigger home meant more money and rent in Seattle is ridiculous. But I was willing to make that sacrifice because I didn't want my mom. There was no way that wasn't even a question, you know. And so that was the pressure that I felt the pressure of taking care of my mom and my sister. My sister's disabled. And so I I don't regret it. And I would say more that there would be more societal pressures to do that. But because it was the onset of the pandemic, I didn't have anybody to go to. You know, my kids were, for them, it's, it's just unthinkable to not live with their abuela and their tia. And it was the same for my mom and my sister. You know, that just it just didn't come up. And like I said, I had complete support of my kids and my mom. You know, just my my mom was like, Iha, you know, you just you are taking on too much and it's time to sell. You know, when I was struggling with that decision. And the kids were like, What the hell? Why not? You know, we can we can do this. You know, we can do this. My oldest was twenty at the time or nineteen. And they just yeah, they were just like, Let's do it. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, I'm I'm really really grateful for that. Yeah, and I, you know what you said about making sure that you are clear about your own priorities. There are, you know, so many people again who will tell you what the right thing is and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But we all have to make decisions in money and finances and business in love, in whatever, right? That really truly meets our unique needs because at the end of the day, we have to live with the decisions that we make. Exactly. Yeah. And and it can be hard, especially I'll speak from my own experience. When I'm not 100% sure or confident in the move that I'm making, it is scarier or I'm less, I'm just less confident in making that move. And so I do look to, you know, outside support for that. But then every time I've, I've gone my own way and said, whatever, 
this is what I really want to do. I've never regretted the decision, even if it didn't come out in the way that I thought that it was going to come out. So I'm curious to know, what are some of the mindset hurdles that you have to help people work through in your financial coaching? So one thing that comes up often is that people don't recognize, it's not so much accepting because they accept it eventually, but they don't recognize how our past relationships with people and with money influence how we handle money today. And I I learned that really late. You know, my dad was a veteran of Vietnam. He was an alcoholic. He had a lot of mental issues. He had PTSD. And there was a lot of need in our home growing up. And so I saw my mother struggling all the time to keep food on the table for me and my sister and struggle the whole time. And I did not realize until much, much later, like just the last few years, how much seeing that influenced how I handled money throughout most of my life. And people don't, people tend to not realize that what they saw in their childhood or even in their teens, they don't realize how much that has an influence and how that, that causes them to handle money in a certain way. And you know, our emotions are so tied to, to money. Our mental health is so tied to money. If you have ADHD, depression, anxiety, if you have, um, if you're on the spectrum, if you have other, you know, diagnoses, those will have an influence for better or for worse, how you handle money. And once you are overcome that, you're like, oh, okay. So now, now because I have ADHD, I can set up systems so that my bills get paid or so that if I do go over budget on something, I have some kind of a cushion. It's learning what little quirks and foibles we have to set us up so that we have these cushions or that we have some kind of protection and the support. And I think it's really important also, you know, physical health is really important. And, you know, I was, you know, just in January given some test results that shocked me and I immediately went on a regimen to try to fix the issues. You know, I, I'm pre-diabetic. And so I was like, oh my God, this is going to lead to type two. And then, then it could be, you know, what do I need to do? Because if I don't have my health, then what good is a coaching business? What good is working a six-figure job? What good is, you know, finding a home for my family to rent if I don't have my health? So I've started to incorporate your physical physical health also into this because you can, you know, we talk a lot about mental health and emotional health, but there's also the physical health and people are like, well, why do I need to get a annual exam? And it's like, you need to do that because you need to take care of your health because how are you going to be able to do and function? And a lot of your physical ailments cause issues with your mental health. I have hypothyroidism. If I'm off my medication for two days, my mind just goes berserk and I become a basket case. And so those are things that people don't really think about. They don't connect them until it's brought to them. And then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense. You know, I do have to put myself first sometimes, which is really hard for me because, you know, as a Latina, we don't do that. Everything is for my family. So when am I going to, when am I going to have time for self-care? Self-care to me, it's a, it's a privilege, right? And I don't have time for that. You have to make time. But it's like, when am I going to do that without getting somebody knocking on the bathroom door saying, I'm going to go to the store to buy cereal? Right, right. Totally, totally. It makes me think of a, a couple of things when I, so a couple of years ago, I was running my practice, but starting to slow it down, was in business school. 
and had just gotten the teaching job in Sacramento. And I was also teaching exercise classes at the bar method around the corner. And I, I loved it. I didn't want to give that up. And but I, you know, I really I couldn't do it all, right? I was doing a lot and I couldn't do any more than any more than what I was already doing. And I made a promise to myself. I had generally always worked out, but I was like, Asha, you are going to be you're going you are potentially going to lose your mind <laughs> from all of this work that you were doing, but you better not lose your health. So make sure that you continue to work out four to five days a week and take care of yourself first. And those nights, like if I would go salsa dancing Friday night, I would make sure that I would get up early, that I would get up early and go to Orange Theory Fitness before I would get to class at 9 a.m. and sit there all day. So working out and taking care of your health is so important not just for the physical part of that, but it also influences the endorphins that, that are released and influences your mood and how you feel about yourself. But how you feel about yourself also influences how you're going to take care of your money because the self-esteem that you build tells you how you feel about yourself. So if you think that you are worth it, then you are going to do things that prove that you are worth it. If you think that you're not worth it, you're going to do things that prove to yourself that you're not worth it. Going back to the part that you were saying about, you know, our our money stories that they begin in childhood is so true. I had made this connection in a coaching group in the fall that my relationship with money really mirrored the relationship that I had with my dad. That I was like, hey, I'm here. See me. I want this, but I don't want to ask for it because what if I ask for it and it doesn't come, right? And the same thing about it. Like, hey, I'm here, dad. See me. And I want to spend time with you, but then if if you tell me no or if you disappoint me, then I don't want to ask because I don't want to be disappointed, right? And that revelation to me was like, what? Like I got the same relationship with money as I did with my dad and men. It's like a cut and paste. It's like, you know, you have this thing and then you're like pasting it into your money relationship. Totally. And then the coping mechanism is to say what I said was that I just don't want to care about it. And the coach who was coaching me was like, is that true? Do you really not want to care about it? And I was like, no, I don't. I just don't want to be disappointed, right? And so instead of pretending like I didn't have these feelings, now I have learned how to accept them and work through them. Okay, Asha, so when you start to feel disappointed, what do you need to support yourself in that feeling? You know, what do you need to keep going? And if you are disappointed, what does that mean? What are you making this mean about you? And what, you know, what should you not make it mean about you? So all of those skills are super useful. And I totally see the value because I've experienced it of working with a coach like yourself to help get through that, that mindset stuff. Yeah, self-awareness is a big thing. You know, that's why when I start off a coaching, you know, the first, the first session isn't about, you know, okay, let's pull out your bank statements and your budget worksheet. And let's see how much debt you have. It's not about that at all. It's so that the person, you know, the person has to have the foundation of understanding, okay, we need you to be self-aware. What are your values? What are your goals? What is your purpose? And let's talk also about why you feel this way or what happened that made you how you are. Why do you have these challenges? Because until the person, and, and it's a life, it's a, it's a process that has to last far beyond coaching. Right. You know, I'm just here to say, okay, these are some things that you're going to need to think about and work through. And it's not going to end after 12 weeks. This is something that has to continue. You know, you have to build on it. I feel like you can't just start being like, okay, let's, let's look at all your, your this and that and whatever. How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? What is your background? What's your gender, your sexuality, your race, your ethnicity, your, you know, are you undocumented? Are you an, you know, what are, what, there's so many things that play into that. And, you know, I, I've seen that. I've seen that. I mean, I have a friend that I've been trying to coach for years. 
He's from Honduras. He grew up very, very poor and he makes decent money now. And he refuses to even see how much he has saved for retirement. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, I suspect that he has a really good chunk, but he's so afraid of not having money. You know, he's 56 years old and he's still working as a bricklayer pays really, really well. But every time I see him, he looks so much more older than before. And I'm like, we need to figure out what is going on. He does not want to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Every time that I get like that, where I'm like, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look. It's either way better than I thought it was going to be. It's not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. (laughs) So when I first, when I first started really like diving into taking control, because also growing up in childhood, it was like, my dad was really conservative with money and conservative, meaning like, I'm not going to pay for this for you. Ask your mom. Right. And then my mom was, (laughs) my mom covered all the bills and expenses. And I remember seeing her sit down at the, she still does, sits down at the table and, and writes out her checks and puts them in the mail. But we didn't have money conversations. And the only time that we really had money discussions, it wasn't even a discussion. It was like money was tight and I had to ask for something and I couldn't get it. So I didn't really understand, you know, most of what I've learned about money has come as an adult. But every time, so a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, I decided that I was going to get myself together and I was really going to take control of my finances. So just a couple of years ago. And one of the things that I did was to set a reminder on my phone to check Mint, where I used to catalog everything every day. 8 p.m. It goes off every day, you know, and just that exercise, that habit of doing that just changed everything because I wasn't afraid. I knew where things were going when I was spending too much going out to eat with friends. I could say, oh, okay, I could see it. Right. Instead of just hoping that at the end of the month I had stayed within the budget. So those tools are really helpful. Yeah. And tools like that are helpful. I mean, I check my I have, you know, my credit union app on my phone. So I just check it every day. I have the TIA, CREF and Fidelity apps on my phone. So I just check them every day. And I get so excited when I see, you know, a bump in, in my investments because it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and then I, and I show the kids and I show the Giancarlo who is 18, just turned 18 in, in January. I opened a Roth IRA for him last year and I show him, look how much money you've got. Look how much money is in there. You know, the money, the little bit of money that you're putting in every month. That's the money that look at it, look at how it's growing, you know, and yeah. And then when it, and when there's a dip, I tell him, oh, look, there's a dip. But you know what's going to happen? It's just going to go back up. And that's the whole point. And I said, this money, the money in your Roth isn't for, you know, pulling out whenever you see something bad. It's for leaving in there for the long term. And you're going to see how much that grows. So developing that habit is super important. My oldest child, Maria, is a senior at the University of Washington. And I opened a Roth for them also and gave them a good chunk to start it off. And then every month, you know, they're not working, but they take a little bit of month of money whenever they have something. And every month, there's just a little bit of money going into it. And I'm like, it doesn't matter that it's only 10 or $20. The importance is the habit. So let's talk about that, the 10 or $20, right? Because I think some people, I know a lot of people, myself included, right? I feel like it's like, they say this about like going to church or going to the hospital, right? Like you, people will be like, oh, I can't go to church. I got to get my life together. They say, well, you don't go to the hospital after you've healed, right? Like you go to the hospital to get better, right? And same thing with finances. You know, I think a lot of people feel like, well, I got to get my finances together before I can meet with a coach. But like bust that myth for us. Bust that myth right there. I'll give you an example. So my ex-husband has had an accounting business for as long as Maria has been alive for like 22 years. And at Christmas, I got nosy and I was like, what you got for retirement? 
you know, and he's like, I just have, you know, social security. And I said, no, no, no. So I plopped my machine down in front of him. And I said, these are the plans that are, you know, that you can plot. Okay. 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 Two weeks later, he came to pick the kids up for something. And I'm like, and what have you done? And he's like, no, I'm still researching. Okay. No, no, you're not researching. You're putting off what you should be doing. And if you don't, if you don't allocate a month because you're waiting for to get your finances together. Well, you're not getting your finances together if you're just letting everything slide. So by even starting with $10, you are already getting your finances in order because when you finally do get off your ass and do that budget, you're going to see, oh, I've got $10 going to my retirement, right? So you have to start somewhere. And you're not going to have your finances together. I don't know how to say this in a way that that isn't repetitive. People think that their finances have to be together in the sense that, you know, oh, I have to pay off debt or I have to find my bank statements or I have to ask for a raise. No, no, you have to start now. You have to start now so that you can see and calculate, well, okay, this is how much I'm making. This is how much is going out. And you know what? I'm going to look around now that I know where my money is going, I'm going to look around and see how much people are making in my field. And I'm going to ask for a raise. It's not a one and done process. It's something that happens all the time. Well, I wonder if maybe I should be, oh, I found out I have a company match. I'm going to increase my contribution so that I get that company match, the full match, right? That is getting, you're never going to have your finances completely fixed. It's not going to happen because they're going to change over your lifetime. They're going to change as priorities change. You get married, divorced, your kids leave the house, your kids come home. You know, you have unexpected expenses. That doesn't happen in a period of one month of you getting your act together or in 12 months of coaching. It's a lifelong process. And the whole point of coaching is to make you aware of these things so that when you leave coaching, you continue to work, keeping your money, knowing where it's going. There's no such thing as getting your finances together. It's managing your money. Yeah, I like that. It's active. It's continuous. Yes, it's it's never going to end. You know, you're not going to stop feeding your body just because, oh, I had dinner today. So now I'm fixed. I don't have to eat anymore. No, you have to continually feed your body to be able to nourish it and grow it and and make it better. And it's the same thing with your money. You're not going to just do that. And it's just not going to happen that way. I agree. So I think this is so important for Black and Latinx folks to hear, and especially like business owners and especially Black and Brown business owners, right? Because often we don't start businesses with a whole lot of money. And, you know, we don't necessarily know how to go out there and get money because we don't know have all the connections or just don't even know where to look to get money. But if you are an entrepreneur with a business and you haven't set up a retirement account yet, I would say at the very least $10 a month. You know, $100 is is even greater, but like a $10 a month into some account that has an interest rate that is going to multiply and grow your investment because $10, you could just, I mean, you could ask 10 friends for a dollar, right? Even if you have to do that, but I want you to do that because you cannot recoup time. You can make more money, but you cannot recoup time when you're investing. So it's so important. Yeah. There's an opportunity cost there. Yeah. Do you have more to add about how important this is for Black and Latino folks just to to stay on top of the financial planning and maybe some of the things that you've seen working with clients? What I've seen was very common. I mean, I talked about it earlier is that we are so focused on our families. You know, you've got grandparents bringing up grandchildren. You've got grandparents helping, you know, the single parent. My mom 
you know, I'm a single parent. I've been a single parent for 10 years. And, you know, my mother helped me bring up my children. And I think it's really important that we learn to, how do I say this? We need to learn, and I'm still working on this, to put ourselves first and to, and I hate to do that because that's such a, it's such a me thing. Which we have been taught is not okay, but that's actually okay. Because we, because this, I mean, and the pandemic has a huge part of this, you know, I don't want to wear a mask because why, why can't, you know, I have freedom, I have independence, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you've got the other side saying, but it's for your neighbors, for your family, for your community, right? Because this, this country is so focused on individualism. And so for me to say to my mother, I want to go on a trip by myself. It's like, no, 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 no. And so that's something that I, you know, like I said, I struggle with it. And I think that we can balance, we can balance it. I'm still struggling with it. But I do think that at least at the very least, it needs to be recognized that black and brown communities have that thing. Like, how dare you go to the thing or whatever? How dare you do this or or the other thing when you have the other thing that you should be taking care of? And it's like, well, you know, we need to say, I'll be able to take better care of it when I'm in a better place. And and by going to the pool, by going to a club, by going out to dinner, by going to a friend, that makes me a better person and more happy and more willing. And I have more time and I want to be with you more. And I, and it's, it's especially hard because, you know, we, and, we're, and we're stuck between the two cultures. Like my mother was like, I never needed a man, blah, 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 blah. She never remarried, never remarried after she and my dad divorced. And she told me, she told me when, you know, when I was divorcing, that if I got involved with somebody to wait until, to at least wait until she died. Oh my goodness. Then she said, if you do, while I'm alive, I'm taking Rebecca, my sister, and I'm leaving. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's an ultimatum right there. Yeah. And it's like, Wow. Yeah. So I have to live my life the way she lives her life. Right. 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 And so, so then that's something that I've had to work on really hard over the last 10 years. Yeah, I bet. Because our parents say things to us that really have an impact. I mean, I'm 52 years old and I'm fucking still having to listen to my mother, you know? And so, and it's, it's especially hard for our communities, I think, because we're so family oriented that one person takes a step away and you're seen as like, oh, you know, you've got the heirs or who do you think you are? And, you know, and it's like, you know, and it's like, I just wanted to go to get a hamburger, (laughs) you know? And so, and it's hard and it's a lifelong process. And for something like that, I think it's really important that we admit that we need therapy and we get a person of color was going to understand because that was my mistake and not doing that when I had this woman telling me I had to find a place where my mom and my sister live alone. And so it's it's really hard to to do that. And so I think acknowledging it, recognizing it is the first step. And then figuring out how to work through all of those things I think is 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 where we'll be in a, a more comfortable place. It won't be comfortable if you're my age, but maybe your age or younger. It would be more comfortable to be like, okay, by the time I'm Deb's age, I'm going to be. You say that like you're so much older than me, but you're not. I was just going to say, I just turned 52. So I'm kind of feeling like that, you know? Yeah. 
Well, I, I'm 38. I'm a little bit behind you, but but not not too far, right? My, I know. I feel like I'm I'm definitely closing closing in on my 40s for sure. But just thinking about like one thing I'm thinking about is like those messages that we hear, right? And those things that may have served our parents or the previous generation, or maybe even served us previously, but don't serve now. Like I heard a similar thing from my mom. She was like, "You just have a really high need to be in a close relationship with somebody." Because after my dad, she didn't, she never dated, wasn't interested in anybody, right? And I remember I told my best friend, I was like, oh my God, am I just like needy? And my my friend looked at me and she's like, Asha, are you crazy? You're human. Humans are designed to be in relationship with people. But because I had heard this from my mother, whom I love and like, you know, respect the words that she said, I, I couldn't even filter it through like something logical. It was just, it was like, oh my God, I'm so needy. I have high needs, right? So I think it, it is really important to be in community with people who are like-minded, who have similar experiences. Um, you hear things differently. Maybe you hear things for the first time. You can work through some of that stuff, the culture that is changing and evolving, right? It's two different worlds that we're living in. Another example is that my mom and my uncle and my aunt, you know, they worked for 40 plus years for the same employer. And that was the thing to do. My cousin, who's who's also in her 50s, her goal was to have a new job every three years. And my goal is to, you know, be my own enterprise, right? And so there's that cultural rift where my mom looks at, not looks at my cousin, but if she were to interview, she was a principal. So if she were to interview someone who had a new job every three years, she'd be like, this person's not stable. Why do they keep leaving? Right. But then I just heard on like an Instagram post, right? Because that's where all my inspiration comes from these days. This lady was like, get a new job every three to five years, because that's how you're going to increase your wealth. If you're not planning to be a business owner, because then when you go to a new job, you can negotiate a higher salary than what you had from the job that you were leaving, right? So there's some strategy at jumping ship because you can increase your income faster than if you stay in the same spot where they just are going to have incremental 3% or 10% raises, right? Different time, different culture, you know, sage advice for my mom's generation. You know, my cousin had a plan and made it work. And then now his younger generation is like, yeah, if you, if you want to accelerate your income, this is one way to do it. And it makes sense, right? Totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so important to surround yourself with those folks who are going in the same or similar direction as you want to go, who can relate and support you along the way, for sure. I don't know anybody. I don't think, I mean, all my, all my, you know, entrepreneurs on social media, but it's like, yeah, even my, my friends, you know, everybody just has their nine to five, you know, that kind of thing, but nobody has struck out like this. So um, yeah, and, and so community is really important in that sense that we need to see other people who speak our language and who look like us to sustain us and to support us. It's really, really important. It's like your, it's like your group, your coaching program is what people is what people need you know, because they need that community. And it's, it's not going to replace, you know, the family, it's just another, you know, the more the merrier, you know, the, you, you need that that group that can cheer you on and that can and that can lift you up when you need it. Right, right. Because they're, you know, people can't take you where they haven't been themselves for the most part, right? So if, if I don't have any entrepreneurs in my family that have done something similar to what I want to do, they can like clap and say, you know, good job, Asha, but they're not going to be able to walk me through some of those mental hurdles or challenges 
because they haven't been down that path. They might have really good, well-meaning advice from their own experience, but not the kind of advice that can lead me through that situation. And there's no problem with that. That just means that I need to find the community that can assist me with that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really important entrepreneurs who are listening to find your community and do not wait to get set up with a financial coach or even just on your financial plan because there is so much that you can do through your business, through opening up retirement accounts, through paying for expenses like insurance or reimbursing yourself for insurance or you know cell phone expenses, like regular business expenses. And there's a lot that you can do as a business owner. And if you have children and you have a sole proprietorship or an LLC, you can hire your children under the age of 18 and pay them and you don't have to pay payroll taxes and uh, FICA. And then you can help direct that money, whether it's their spending money or whether you want them to open up a, what is it called? A minor's IRA or a custodial IRA. And then again, the time, the value of time, you start contributing to your kids' retirement accounts when they're under the age of eight, like you can't get that time back. You can't. No. And I would like to say or specify when people think of community, they may think of more, you know, a, a whole group. But a community can start with one other person and go and build up from there. And that's something that I'm working on on my end, just on up here in, in Seattle. It's something that I want to start because we need, you know, hopefully with the mask mandate lifting at the end of March and hopefully with the pandemic easing or going away, please, please. I'm hoping that I'll be able to have people meet in person, even if it's just one other person. But having that community for Latinos, for Black folks, we really need to have that. We need to have that for the entrepreneurs. And also, you know, even even a, a group coaching session in my home for people to kind of learn, you know, do a workshop or learn something, I think is really important to, to have that kind of that back. You know, somebody needs to have my back. I need to have their back. It's really important to have that. Yeah, it's important to find the skill, but also to find the comfort zone. That's what I was going to say earlier is that you're talking about it's going to be, it might be uncomfortable, you know, to make some of these moves. But I heard this quote about the comfort zone and how it's really a misnomer. It's, it's, it's not named properly because really, it's our familiar zone. So if I am looking for some support because my finances aren't in order or aren't where they w- I want them to be, but I'm scared to reach out because that's out of my comfort zone, that's not really the comfort zone. It's the familiar zone because I'm already uncomfortable which is what makes me want to reach out, right? So now I'm just doing something that's not familiar. And I think for me, it's easier to accept that this is not familiar because I'm already uncomfortable. So why not be uncomfortable moving in the direction that I want to go? It's false that I'm comfortable in my comfort zone. That's not my comfort zone. I'm uncomfortable. It's just familiar. Okay, now that I know it's just familiar, let me go You know, move to something that's unfamiliar and be okay with that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of semantics and wordplay, but I think it, those words matter. They make a difference, you know, says the attorney. It does matter. <laughs> Absolutely. So Deb, if people want to find you and reach out to you and inquire about your coaching services, how do they find you? I'm most often on Instagram at Be Money Coaching. Um, on, I'm on Facebook, Be Money Coaching. Uh, my website, BeMoneyCoaching.com. And I'm on Twitter at Be Money Coach. Yep. And it's B like B-E-E, like a little bumblebee. Yeah, I got that because my name is Jewish or Hebrew and B is Deborah. 
Deborah is B in Hebrew. So yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I used to I used to be Asha B B E E on Instagram before I changed it to Asha Wilgerson E S Q because my middle name is Bailey. And I was like, well, let me try and be cute. So I had Asha B and a little B right there. So so when I saw B Money coaching, I was like, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Deb, so much for sharing your story with us and um, some of your knowledge with the entrepreneurs. If y'all are listening or watching, like definitely go find Deb. She's great, has great resources and will be a resource to you as well if you would like her to be. So go find her. All right. Thanks, Deb. We'll see y'all next time. Hey family, I am so thankful that you are here listening to Transcend the Podcast and I just want to make sure you know the best way to stay in contact with me and that's through joining my email newsletter. So please head on over to the wilkersonlawoffice.com slash newsletter and join the list. I will tell you everything over there from what my offerings are to bits and pieces of information about how to grow and scale your business to self-coaching all the way to giving you updates on what the new podcast episode is. So don't hesitate. Go do it now. The wilkersonlawoffice.com slash newsletter. Thanks.